holy out there tonight. I don't mean like sanctified holy, but like Swiss cheese holy. W-H-O-L-L-Y. But not to say not sanctified holy, but uh, there are some there are some more spots than normal out there. But really grateful for all of you that, that are here this evening. Really appreciate that. I didn't ask Greg to lead any of those songs, but they're, most of them are going to tie right into what I want to talk about tonight. Because tonight I want to talk about disciples. And when we think about disciples, oftentimes we think about someone who is a follower. They follow someone's teaching, so oftentimes it is a follower who learns something. And so maybe you're under the tutelage of some professor or some doctor, or some preacher, or whatever the case, there is someone that you are learning something from, and you're from kind of their school. And you follow them. But it's also more than just a follower who learns. It is a learner who then follows. It's like you then you learn to follow even more. And there's always kind of this idea of academia as well as lifestyle that goes along with that. It's not just facts, but it is facts coupled with living those things. And when we think about disciples, again, that is the most common term that is used in the New Testament of what we call Christians, is that they are disciples. And I want you to open up to the book of John. In John chapter 6, I want to take a phrase from John chapter 6, that I really haven't been able to stop thinking about since we were having it in our discussion Thursday night at Wendy's, when after Jesus has fed the 5,000, and Jesus has told the crowd that I am the bread of life, unless you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, you got no part with me. That this statement is made down in verse 66. And after this, many of His disciples... Many people who followed him, many people who learned from him, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Tonight, I want to talk about disciples who no longer need Jesus. You might say that's a little bit of an oxymoron there. How can a disciple of Jesus no longer need Jesus? And I would say, the always. Need Jesus. There isn't a disciple out there who doesn't need Jesus. But there are disciples out there who get in the mindset that they no longer need Jesus. And I want to tell you, I think that's for you and me, as I think about a Sunday evening audience, of something that I really have to ask myself, of do I need Jesus? We sing the song, I need thee every hour. And I thought about that. I said, when was the last time in my life that I felt like I needed Jesus every hour? And I sing it just wholeheartedly. I need thee every hour. Or I love to tell the story. Okay, you know what? Not so much if I really step back for a second and I think about myself as a learner, as I, especially as I get more mature, the more I realize, the more I begin to think, I don't need Jesus. 
So I want to take some quick lessons here from John chapter 6, very briefly, to help us kind of think about the type of person who might come to the conclusion that they no longer need Jesus. I want to begin by not even looking really in John chapter 6. I want to begin by going back to Numbers chapter 11. Because on this day, you remember, the day before this big speech that Jesus gives in John chapter 6, He has fed the 5,000 men. He's fed them out of the five loaves and the two fishes. And they were going to come and they were going to take Him by force to make Him king. And He withdrew from them. And so the next morning they are looking for Him everywhere and He's not where He's supposed to be. And so they get in the boats and they go to the other side and they find Him in the synagogue. Well, they find Him in all of these things. And Jesus tells them, they ask the question, what do we need to do to be doing the works of God? What do we need to do? And Jesus says, the work of God is that you believe in Him. And they said, well, you show us a sign so that we may believe in Him. He said, Moses gave bread from heaven. And we know that bread from heaven to be manna. That it came down all these days and it came down... On Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, but not on Saturday, right? Came on twice on Friday, so they had on Saturday. Now here's the deal with that, right? What else did they have to eat during that time? Manna, and more manna, and more manna, and more manna, until they got bored with the manna. And in Numbers chapter 11, you'll pick up in verse 4 that the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. They wanted something else to eat. And the people of Israel wept again and they said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. And the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks, the onions and the garlic. Like, man, you remember those spread we used to have down there? Well, we weren't paying a dime for that. And by the way, were they paying a dime for the manna? No, it's coming down every day. They ain't paying a dime for it. And they get, man, I'll tell you what, isn't a good cucumber good? And good melon? Isn't that tasty? Onions I can live with, I can live without, I'm okay. Garlic, throw it on maybe some bread. They're thinking, man, we don't even have these little things. And on top of do we not have this great flavor anymore? Notice verse 6. But now our strength is dried up. And there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. And so maybe you can relate. Right? I was had a big stomach virus here Sunday night, Monday. And so... Once they allowed me to eat, I was eating nothing but Campbell's chicken noodle soup until really Thursday night. And I got bored of Campbell's chicken noodle soup real fast. I wanted something else to eat, but yet I wasn't able to eat anything. And that's kind of the situation the children of Israel were in. They didn't have any other food in the wilderness to eat. The only reason they had food is because God was providing it for them each and every day. 
And so maybe you can relate back to when you were a kid. Mom, what's for dinner? Again? That's boring. And you want something else. And so Jesus gets a little boring. Because we're hearing the same old story about this guy who died, this guy who did all this. He was great for the poor. He did all these miracles. And it gets a little old. And you say, can't we talk about something else? And the truth is, something else will always come along. I want you to go to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. In Colossians chapter 1, as Tom just read for us, we have quite a description of Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. Let that sink in for a second. He, he's how we know what God looks like. He is that image. He is the one through whom all things were created. He's the creator. He's the one through whom all things still stay together. That the whole universe is still in existence and still functioning the way it is supposed to is because of Him. That's pretty monumental, right? If we don't have Him doing that, our world is chaos. But we don't. We have someone in control. And then it goes on to say there that He is the head of the body, which is His church. And He comes back to that in chapter 2. When he talks about, he's preparing these Colossian brethren for people who are going to try to take them captive with philosophy. Who are going to deceive them in different teachings. And so you would go down now to verse 18. And he says to these Colossians, Let no one disqualify you. Insisting on aestheticism or humility and worship of angels going on in detail about visions or the things that they have seen, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. I want you to sit back for a second. I want you to take what he he just said here. Don't let anyone disqualify you. We understand that in sports, right? When you are disqualified, you no longer can win the prize. You are taken out. He says what you will be taken out of contention for is when you start going off into this aestheticism or literally humility. And the idea here is probably some kind of false humility. Where you are acting all humble, maybe like the Pharisees, that when they fasted, they made sure that everyone knew it and they had the sash on, the the ashes on their heads and... You're letting everyone know just how sad you are. He said, yeah, that's something new. You can get some attention that way. Or these people that go about worshiping angels. Like all these spiritual beings that that we don't know, but man, we're going to worship them, and they are so important and everything. When the angels themselves would say, don't worship me, worship God, over and over. But, you say, well, how would it... People really worship angels? Think about how many people respect their dead loved ones and revere them in such a way, or dead Christians, such as we have saints who watch over this and they take care of that 
and they're just all over the place. And what they become is they become like gods. And they become more important to us than God. And guess what? That's a little more exciting because there's something mysterious about that. And some people will be drawn to that or these things about visions. Somebody comes to you and they say, man, you won't believe what I dreamed the other night. I had this crazy dream that I saw this and that and this is what happened and here's what I think this means. And you just go on and on and on. You're trying to figure out what does this vision mean. And next thing you know, you're all wrapped up in all these things that will be called here mythology. They're myths. They're fables. They aren't real. And why do people do that? Because they are puffed up with their sensuous mind or with their fleshly mind is what it is. Because what we do is we start to think with our, using our food analogy, with our stomachs. We begin to think not on what we really need, but what we want. And I'm hungry for this, and so I want things that I can feel, I want things I can touch, I want things that are more exciting than this Jesus who came and was a lowly, lowly servant. And so he explains that in verse 19. Why? And not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, and again we're talking about Jesus being the head of the church, whom the whole body, the whole church, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. You see what happens when we get away from Jesus and we don't hold fast? To the head, we no longer grow. We no longer have what we need to give us life, to give us growth. We don't long for that pure spiritual milk of the Word, as Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. We don't long for it anymore. We're tired of it. At one point it was all great, and at one point it tasted really good. But now it's, ugh. And so I think what happens when people, they get a little tired, they get a little bored of hearing the same things over and over. I'll move on to something else. I'll go on. I don't need that anymore. I got what I need. I'll go somewhere else. I think, I think that's one possibility. I got another possibility for you. I got a second possibility. I want you to go back to John chapter 6. I think another possibility is that the truth is, sometimes we just get frustrated. We get so, like, worked up over some of the smallest things. And I want you to notice that I think the disciples here in this group, they get a little frustrated at Jesus. Like, we wanted you to be our king, and now you're telling us that you came from heaven? And that we've got to eat your flesh and your blood and all this. And so I want you to pick up in verse 27, where Jesus has just told them in verse 26, Truly I say to you, you're seeking me. Not because you saw signs, but because you ate the fill of the loaves. Back to the stomach. You're after me because of your stomach. Because of what is sensual in you. The things you can feel and the things you can taste. And so verse 27, Don't labor for the food that perishes, But the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on Him, God,
God the Father has set His seal. Now, you say, Wes, what about that gets you frustrated? You're working for something. i got to go out and I'm working and I am working and I'm not getting what I'm working for out of it. I'm wanting this bread that's always going to be there. Or I'm wanting this or I'm wanting that and I'm always laboring for it. I'm always working for it and I'm not getting it. And on top of that, He's making me work for it. Go down to the end there. In in verse 60 there. When He's finished pretty much all His teaching, it says, When many of His disciples, again, many of those who followed Him, those who learned from Him, they heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? I want you to think about that for a second. Do you ever get frustrated when you have to work to understand what Jesus is talking about and what the Bible is talking about, I think I do. And I think as listeners, kind of going with what Michael was saying this morning, the difference between spectators and participants, the things that you remember are the things that you really worked for. The things that you sat hours over in the library, you sat hours over at your desk, you spent, just, you went, you Googled it yourself. You looked it up yourself. That's what you remember. But too often we're too lazy and we just want it handed to us. Sir, give us this bread always. So we want our Bible teacher to tell us what we need to know without me having to do a thing for it. And guess what happens over time? You look like this student. You're sweating. You're confused. Because when the rubber meets the road, we don't know what to do. And so you get so frustrated. You get so confused. And you say, man, why am I going to do this? Who can put up with this? Who wants to put in the effort to understand why this is wrong? Or who wants to put up the effort to be able to defend this position? And man, sure enough, who wants to put up the effort while the preacher is up there preaching a sermon? As Michael just talked about this morning. No, we don't want that. And guess what happens? It doesn't take long before we don't want to be taught anymore. We just want to have what we, our stomachs, want. And Jesus is saying, man, you've got to work. Well, you've got to work for the thing that really matters. You work for me. You work for the food that doesn't perish, that ends up in eternal life. And so, I oftentimes have to find myself taking notes, because if I don't take notes, I easily get lost. I easily get frustrated. Because I'll tune out, my attention span is that of a butterfly, and I won't know what in the world has happened. But the truth is, when we get frustrated, it's so easy to say, I got it all, I got what I need to know, you're not giving me what I necessarily want, so I'm good. I don't need it. I think a person like that can become a disciple who no longer needs Jesus. What do you think of another person, the third person? We see them there, there in chapter 6, and I already referenced this a little bit. 
But I think another type of person that's easy for them to no longer need Jesus is a spoiled person. Someone who has always got their way. You see him up there, he's got all those toy trucks, got some on the ground, he's got some in his hand. And there is one left in, by the way, I don't know where you buy trucks in a vending machine. But it looks like a vending machine that's got one truck that says new. And he's not getting it, and he is screaming, give me that truck, is the way I picture what he's saying, by the way. I should have added that caption. But he's spoiled rotten on it. He's always had it his way. Things have always gone smooth. Things have always gone great. And so when Jesus says in verse 28, or verse 27, I want you to believe. Uh, he says down to verse 30, they said, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate man in the wilderness. As it's written, he gave them breath from heaven to eat. See how spoiled they are? Yesterday. He fed them when they had nothing to eat. And today they are saying, what have you done for me today? And the truth is, you better give me what I want, Jesus, or sayonara. And you pout about it, and you jump, and you kick, and you scream, and you think that Jesus will cave to you. That He will cater to me. And He doesn't work that way. It is His way. He is the teacher. The teacher does not cater to the students. The teacher gives the students what they need to be successful. And you get spoiled. And we become brats. And we have to remind ourselves, life is not always going to be great. And there's two psalms that I want to draw your attention to. Psalm 42 and 43. I don't know how many of you talk to yourselves. Yeah, everyone's looking at someone else, and that indicates most of us talk to ourselves. In Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, the psalmist is talking to himself. In the midst of talking to God. And sometimes we have to remind ourselves, don't be so spoiled, Wes. You've had it really easy. You've had it really good. Just hold on. I want you to pick up in 42 as this new book begins in Psalms. And you know verse 1, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul longs after you. Oh God. There is someone who's not bored with God, but someone who is longing for God like He does for water every day. And by the way, we eat every day, don't we? We don't say, oh man, it's time to eat. Or, oh, i got to eat again today. No, we want to do that. And so He says, my soul thirsts for God. For the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? When am I going to get to be before Him? So here's what I've been eating here lately, he says. My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day, where is your God? You know, all I've had here lately has been my tears. I haven't had anything but my tears. And these things I put, 
I remember as I pour out my soul how I would go to the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Like, I remember leading the people to worship into the house of God, and man, I wish it was like that right now. But really, all I'm doing right now is I am crying. So here's where he begins to talk to himself, verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? What are you doing, Wes? Why are you so tore up about all of this? Hope in God. We have to tell ourselves, I've had some good times and I've had some bad times. Hope in God. I know I shall praise Him again. My salvation and my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you. From the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mezer. You know, going back to, back to the children of Israel there in Numbers 11. What did they remember as they looked at the manna? They remembered the fish, the melons, the cucumbers of Egypt. They didn't remember having no food and then having food. Or having no way to get away from the Egyptians and then being freed from the Egyptians. Or they didn't remember not having any water and then having water. And then they didn't remember not having water that wasn't bitter and then all of a sudden it wasn't bitter. That's not what they remembered. They remembered all of the other stuff that wasn't so good for them. And he says... Why are you so upset? Trust in God. Hope in God. Notice how he would continue. I'm going to go down to the end of the chapter. Verse 11, he basically says the same thing. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Same thing in chapter 43. I want you to notice, again, oppression is happening in verse 2. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? You're not giving me what I want, God. Why am I so separate from you right now? And so he goes on to say, verse 3, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Again, the desire is to be in front of God and with God. So I'll go to your altar. So then verse 5, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. The person that gets spoiled and doesn't remember God, that person doesn't stand much hope. I've got to tell myself, it's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be perfect. It's okay. He'll come. He'll vindicate hope in God, hope in Jesus. We get spoiled. We don't need Him anymore. Everything is good. And then finally, sometimes they say things we don't like to be said. If you go back to John chapter 6, Jesus again makes it abundantly clear that I came from heaven. I am the bread that has come down from heaven. 
And they retort this. They go against that. And they go down, if you're in chapter 6 of John, and in verse 42. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? And I wonder how sincere that particular grumbling is. Because that word grumble means to mutter underneath your breath. And I think Michael even mentioned muttering this morning when you say something underneath your breath. What they said under their breath is, how can this guy be? We know who he comes from. And this is what happens when people start saying things that we don't like. We get defensive. And we start firing. Who do you think you are? You're just Joseph's son. You're that little carpenter's son. What you said can't be right. What you said can't be true. And so what we do is, for some reason... Individuals have so much trouble differentiating between the message and the messenger. Where it becomes so, and and it is hard to separate those things. But the truth is, who gives the message doesn't even matter if the message is right, if the message is true. It can be some bum on the street, it can be some adulterer, it can be some murderer. If what they say is true to what God says, guess what? That's on me. I am accountable to that. And so what we do is if somebody, especially somebody that we know, says something we don't like, you say, well, you're fat. Or, well, you're uneducated. Or, well, you just don't understand people. Or, well... You come up with all kinds of different reasons to attack them because you've just had enough of what they said. You're not going to give me what I want. I'm going to make sure you know it. I'm going to walk away. And that's what we have with these people. i got to come with some reason not to believe him. He fed me yesterday. We learned at the beginning of John chapter 6 that the crowds were following him because they had seen the signs that he had done on the sick. So I imagine in this group of disciples, there were people not only who had been fed by him, but who also either had A, been healed by him, or B, had members of their family healed by him. And you had me until you started to tell me things that were a little more difficult. You started requiring me to do things I didn't want to do. And so we got to shoot back at you. Well, a defensive person is not going to follow in the tutelage of the master, of the teacher, very easily. Is he? he might for a little while. He might put up with it. And he might just say, man, there's just no point in this anymore. And so I'll kind of do it my own way. And so what happens as people, if we get bored, we get frustrated, we get spoiled, and we get defensive. 
The truth is we still need Jesus. That doesn't change a thing. It doesn't change one bit. All it changes is what am I going to do when I get bored? Am I going to say, man, this is the only thing that gives me life. He is the only one that gives me life. Or am I going to go off chase some rabbit trail and chase something else over there? Or am I going to stick with what may not be as popular and what may not be as flashy, but what is the most substantive? The one that gives the growth. Or when I get frustrated, am I going to say, man, this is too much. I'm out the door. But, man, this is, this is worse. Every bit of working out my salvation with fear and trembling is worth it. Making all diligence to show myself approved to God is worth it. Or, nope, I'd rather you just come and put the cracker in my mouth. You just tell me what I need to know for the test, and I'll pass the test. No, it's not going to do you any good. Or when I get spoiled and I'm so used to it being my way, and everything has always been exactly how I want it, then for some reason it's not that way anymore. Okay, oh, fine. As long as you're giving it the way I like it, I'm here. And then when we don't like what was given to us, you know what? You're really not a nice person. You're too harsh. You're too judgmental. You're whatever. And we start blaming and we start saying, no, no, no. I don't want any part of it. Truth is, man, we got to have it. And I have to think about my own self when I get in those types of mentalities. How much do I need Jesus then? And I think the answer is more than when I normally think I need Because I normally think I need Him when i got sick loved ones, when i got some great big sin going on in my life. The truth is I need Jesus just as much and maybe even more so when I'm feeling like this. Because it's a lot easier to walk away here than it is when I know I'm not getting better on my own. Or I know they're not getting better. Don't let your boredom, don't let your frustration, being spoiled, being defensive, whatever it is, if you're in any, any of those categories, I probably fit into three of the four pretty easy, if not all four. Don't let those lead you away to follow somebody else rather than Christ because disciples will no longer need Jesus. Don't let that be you. Don't let that be me. Your subject in any way, won't you come on down as we stand and as we stand?